Welcome to the Smallholder Food Business Development Institute uh, podcast, episode 54, and today we are talking about African swine fever. Welcome to the Smallholder Food Development Institute podcast, where we serve up truth so that you can build the profitable, sustainable food business you've always dreamed of. Now here's your host, Dr. Michelle Fannin-Steele. Good. I guess it's morning here. This already feels like a long day. <laughs> so good morning, everybody. Dr. P in the house. I am coming to you from my office in Yarmouth, Maine. We are having a super fun time in Maine this morning because uh, like 150,000 of us are out of power. <laughs> but fortunately, we have power in the office. So I am doing the podcast from the office, which is awesome. And I will be teaching teaching preventive controls for those of you who are joining us uh, for our preventive controls class. It's actually not too late to sign up. We're doing rolling admissions for preventive controls. So if you are a FDA processor uh, and you know you need preventive controls, we are offering an online class, 100% online. Pretty awesome. All right, so there we got a couple of things to uh, announce at the top of the at the top of the podcast, and then we're going to dive into our podcast. So of course, I do the podcast live on the Proofing Box, our Facebook group. I do it every week here on Thursdays. I try and vary the times, which allows people in different time zones to come and join us. So that's the that's the reason why I've, I've, I'm kind of popping in and scheduling it a little uh, a little before. But if you are not part of the proofing box, why not? You should totally come and join us. We have a super fun time talking about all the things that are going on as you grow and scale your food business. I think there's probably no other place like it on Facebook. <laughs> so come join us over there. We have a couple of other uh, announcements to make. So the first thing is, is I, I am announcing for 2020. What I'm going to start doing is I need, uh, I'm going to start picking people at random who leave reviews either on the Facebook page for Derigo Food Safety or uh, for uh, on the on like the podcast platforms I'm going to start picking people and you will get a um, either a DM or an invitation I'll somehow find you uh, or all and and I will probably announce it on the podcast so you can find me <laughs> uh, and we will give you a um, 45 minute um, a 35 30 45 minute consult you know we'll be able to have a conversation about whatever food safety topic and growing your business that you want I mean I think a lot of people are kind of uh, like, oh my God, I can't ask Dr. P a question. I literally have office hours every Thursday after I record the podcast. So I'm here on the proofing box recording the podcast. And after I'm done with the podcast, then I take questions. And we had a bunch of good questions about um, rabbit slaughter and processing last week. <laughs> so that was super fun. So I want to, uh, I want to then also let people know that due to customer demand, uh, which is how we like to do everything around here, we are actually going to start uh, uh, training QA professionals. So my next webinar next month, which is on the third Wednesday, I'm going to, I do when our webinar is on the third Wednesday of every month at one o'clock in the afternoon, Eastern time. 
my webinar next, uh, next month is all going to be about what the heck do we mean by QA? What do we mean by QA systems? And what do we mean by food safety coaching? Because I'm going to start training people how to do food safety coaching and consulting because frankly, we need it. I was having a conversation with some of my fellow veterinarians who are large animal vets and we have this really interesting dynamic where large animal vets feel like their um, their ways of making a living, living in rural communities and serving um, uh, serving rural communities through large animal medicine. They feel like that is dying. And I and and then when you talk to the producers, like pastured pork producers and raw milk producers and and artisanal cheese people who are who are um, also running farms and things like that, they feel like they have no vets. So there's some like massive disconnect right there. And I want to start training people to have these sorts of QA conversations because you know who is the very best person to help you get a quality assurance system on your farm is your local veterinarian. Okay. Because all the QA systems are uh, predicated on a valid veterinary client patient relationship and a good relationship with your veterinarian. And uh, I'm working on ways where we can all come together so that we can all mutually bring up, <laughs> bring up the conversation. So if you are interested in that, it's, um, the URL to find that is going to get posted on, on the proofing box. And there is an application for joining the, the, the coach training because that's how we do things around here, right? <laughs> but if you're interested in filling out an application and booking a call with us to talk about coach training, you can go to www.sfbdi.com slash coach training and you can read all about it and then book a call and come have a conversation with me about uh changing everything honestly that's what coaching is all about and we do it in a very specific way around here so uh so that's what i have in terms of announcements at the top of the at the top of the podcast so i want to welcome everybody thank you so much for joining us i'd like to thank you for taking your time to come and learn about today's topic which is african swine fever. And by the end of this podcast, my hope is, is you have a really good understanding about what African swine fever is, what your role is in understanding the disease and preventing the disease's spread, um, and, and, and how smallholder food producers can, so ranchers, you know, um, pastured pig producers can really be a part of the conversation, what you need to be aware of. Because what we do around here is we help people be aware of the, the power that they have over their own destinies, over building the business of your dreams. One of the best things that you can do, and we'll talk about this during the podcast, but one of the best things that you can do is get yourself an on-farm biosecurity program, and let me help you with that. We actually give them away, uh, and we'll put a... Um, a uh, what's it called? The URL around getting the biosecurity, getting a biosecurity plan. You can, you can download it from the proofing box page. Um, or you can uh, go to here. Let me get you the URL. You can go to www.sfbdi.com slash on farm biosecurity. 
All right, go fill out the form, which of course puts you on our mailing list, right? Because that's how we, that's how we create business. All right, and uh, get yourself a um, get yourself an on-farm biosecurity plan. Let us help you, please. Let us help you for free, because <laughs> that's what we do. All right, so thank you again so much for tuning in. And what we're going to do today is we're going to go through um, a whole bunch of information around African swine fever, and I am doing this because. Understanding what the threat is, is a way of, I, I know this sounds super weird, but it's a way of, of building assets on your farm. When your brain is more full of knowledge about the things that might um, be coming down the pike, whether you are somebody who actually raises hogs or somebody who uses hogs in production, it's going to help you understand and manage your business better. Understanding and managing your business actually helps you build assets. Downloading an on-farm biosecurity, like that is literally an asset in your business. Uh, and so just by doing that, you will be building assets in your business. We build assets in our business because assets um, plus prior results plus patience equals business results and equals making more money. All right, you do, you do on-farm biosecurity really well, you will make more money. You'll sleep better at night. You'll feel better about the whole process and you'll be building the, uh, the, the business of your dreams. That's what we're here. Um, that's what we're here about. Okay. And so what we're looking for today is just to uh, to understand African swine fever. And so let's dive right the heck on into that. So African swine fever is a highly, highly contagious viral disease of pigs. Okay. It has serious both animal health consequences. So the pigs get really, really sick and economic consequences. And what I mean by that is there are, there are diseases out there that we're very worried about that really only make the animals a little bit sick, but they have significant economic consequences because the animals don't gain weight. And that's what we mean, that if your animals are not gaining weight, those are what we call economic consequences. You must convert feed to fat and protein in order for you to get paid for your carcass. So African swine fever is what we call an OIE. OIE is the, um, is the Organisation Internationale Epizuiste. It's in Paris and it's, it's the people who keep track of, uh, keep track of highly virulent uh, foreign animal diseases and diseases that we're working on eradicating that cross national boundaries, all right, which is an awful lot of them. So it's OIE notifiable. It can result in significant international trade impacts. And um, you can also know it. So if you guys do any work in Africa, it's Peste Porcine Africaine, Peste Porcina Africana, or Maladie de Montgomery. Okay, so different, um, different dialects. Um, say it differently. And I know there, I know there are people who also do pork production in um, Francophone West Africa uh, who listen to the podcast. And so that's what you, um, that's what you guys call it. So um, we are going to be talking about like the organism itself. So if you saw the picture that I broadcast the podcast out with, that is literally a picture of African swine fever. We're going to talk a little bit about the economic impacts, the epidemiology, um, which is uh, the 
the epidemiology is how is the disease um, how is the disease spread around countries like what does that look like um, the transmission itself what the clinical signs are because I know a lot of you need to know what the clinical signs are do a squidge on how we actually diagnose this then what are the prevention and control techniques kind of a little bit um, you guys are by and large not going to be doing that and then what are the actions that you need uh, to take so all of this stuff comes from a presentation that uh, Iowa State University has put together. So I just want to give you know kudos to Iowa State University and my colleagues at the Center for Food Safety and Public Health uh, because I know people there. They are delightful, amazing people, and they work super super hard. So, um, so African swine fever, as the name suggests, affects members of the pig family, Suidae, Sui. That's why we call pigs that. <laughs> Species that can be infected include domesticated swine, Eurasian wild boars, warthogs, bush pigs, and giant forest hogs. So, of course, we don't have many of those. Uh, feral swine, completely susceptible. And as somebody asked the other day, having, um, having like a, a heritage breed confers no better immunity to African swine fever. Nor does having, you know, kind of a land race, whatever, cross commodity hog, having hybrid vigor, doesn't matter. This is a super virulent disease. The warthogs and the bush pigs that I talked about are generally asymptomatic, so they don't show symptoms, and they are probably the, the wildlife reservoirs for the virus in Africa, which means we're never going to eradicate this, guys. Once it's in wildlife, it's uneradicatable. So um, the, the way that we approach uh, controlling this in the United States is very much about keeping it out of the feral swine population because if this gets in the feral swine population, much like um, Ajutsky's disease or the herpes virus in pigs, we're never going to be able to eradicate it. All right, so what actually is African swine fever? African swine fever is an asphaviridae. Um, and asphaviridae stands for African swine fever virus. That, my friends, is what we call a tautology. It's a specific kind of DNA virus. I'm not going to go into the, like, the DNA genetics. If you have a question about that, I'm happy to answer it. But there are 20 different genotypes of it, and they vary in virulence, okay? They can make pigs a little bit sick all the way to killing them. And... It's that's that's what makes it super super difficult. If the if if the if a virus just burns through and die and all the pigs die, that's one thing. It's super hard on the farmer, but from a population genetic standpoint, it's a dead end for the virus. However, if the virus runs through a population and makes some um, makes makes. Uh, some animals sick, but not all animals sick, doesn't kill some animals, kills some other animals, that is not a dead end, and that's much more likely virus to, um, to get promoted in the environment, and much more likely to survive. So that is, um, so the, um, that's, that's the problem with this virus is, is it doesn't kill everybody. It just makes them really sick and allows them to survive to keep transmitting the virus. Um, we generally find the virus in the lymph nodes uh, of the head. 
of the animal um, because I don't know it, it infects a certain kind of it infects a certain kind of white blood cell and and tends to travel to the lymph nodes in the head. African swine fever is highly resistant in the environment, especially at lower temperatures, and in protein environments, i.e., dry cured pork. It can remain viable for a long time in a protein fat environment like blood, um, in a nutrient rich environment like feces uh, and other sorts of and other sorts of tissues. It can survive for several days in fecal matter at room temperature. Um, it survives for at a minimum of a month in pig pens and up to a year and a half in cold stored blood. And we have found it in boned meat stored at like, you know, 40 degrees C um, after uh, 150 days and uh, 140 days in salted carcasses. So those are your, you know, like your dried whole muscle cures and your salumis. And if you're freezing your carcasses, um, several years. Okay, so freezing absolutely does not destroy this. Unfortunately, most disinfectants don't do anything either. Um, you have to use a, um, a specifically approved disinfectant for this virus, um, and you must clean first. And this is true of all disinfection, my friends. Like, if you're sanitizing a surface, you can only sanitize clean surfaces. So... Soap on the surface for 7 to 12 minutes, wash it off with potable water, then apply your sanitizer. Sodium hypochlorite, citric acid, and some iodine and quaternary ammonia compounds are reported to destroy African swine fever on non-porous surfaces. So if you have wooden pig pens and wooden huts and hutches for your girls to farrow, those are undisinfectable. I'm sorry. They're just, they, they're just not, um, you know, um, and that's, and that's not just for pigs. You know, we had a rabbit die of, in our meat rabbit program, we had a rabbit die of snuffles and now we're, you have to get rid of the cage because <laughs> it's a wood cage. So uh, unprocessed meat must be heated to at least 70 degrees Celsius or 150 degrees Fahrenheit for 30 minutes to inactivate African swine fever virus. Um, it can be inactivated if uh, in a pH uh, below 3.9 or above 11.5 on a clean surface. However, that has to be a super clean surface. So that will destroy the virus, but um, use your PPE if you're dealing with things um, in, that, uh, in that range. All right, so where did this uh, virus come from? Let's, let's talk a little bit about history and then we'll jump to present day. It was first discovered in domesticated swine in Montgomery, Kenya, hence Peste de Montgomery. Uh, in 1921, it is considered endemic in most of sub-Saharan Africa, including on Madagascar. All right, so it, um, it stops at the Sahara, as do many of our diseases, not all of them, uh, and is in, um, uh, and then now we're going to talk about where it has migrated from in our uh, time of global trade. It has jumped to China, all right? So last year it was reported in China uh, in domesticated pigs. And fun fact, they have killed more pigs in China uh, over trying to control African swine fever than we have in the United States in all of our animal 
um, facilities combined. So, you know, those football fields worth of confined animal feeding uh, for swine, they have, you know, those, those are throughout the United States and there are, um, there, I think it's like uh, 250 million hogs or something like that. Like the number of hogs they've killed in China is pretty overwhelming. African swine fever is in Belgium. That's as far into Western Europe as it has gone. It is in wild boars in Belgium. Uh, and then it is pretty much all over Eastern Europe. And then why it, it only goes from, it jumps from Eastern Europe um, and Croatia over Germany and into Belgium is probably not, it's probably because they just haven't found it in Germany. So I'm sure that it's there. Viruses don't hot countries. Viruses don't respect political boundaries. The question is, is have they been able to find the animals with the virus? Um, okay, so there's, um, that's, you know, a lot of the things that, that, we, that we worry about is who is, who is actually um, scanning for the virus. I know they're scanning for the virus in, um, in Germany. Uh, are they scanning for the virus in the Russian uh, Federation and all the places in the Russian Federation are they scanning for the virus in the Middle East in India? It's it's uh, there are a lot of things to worry about. All right, so um, the virus introduction um, for is in in our previous outbreaks has been linked to several factors. The primary of which is uncooked or undercooked pork products, imported and illegal, that were fed to swine, uh, garbage feeding, uh, and this is bananas but um back all the way i mean i guess the last um the last time was in uh the country of georgia in 2007 where they were garbage feeding uh waste from the airport to swine and then it moved from domestic swine to feral swine which is how um how it got into the feral swine population in russia okay so there is a reason we say don't garbage feed your animals, okay? It is legal in many states to garbage feed your animals. I totally get it. It is legal to garbage feed your own pigs. That doesn't make it a good idea, <laughs> okay? And as somebody who eats a lot of pork, a lot of local pork, I can absolutely tell when a farmer is garbage feeding, makes the pork taste awful, and holy moly, when you cook a pork shoulder in the crock pot that's been garbage fed, makes the whole house smell, <laughs> all right? So the impact of African swine fever has pretty serious animal health, economic, and international trade consequences. It has a really high morbidity, which means makes people makes makes animals sick. Mortality means it kills them. Rate an infected swine, and it's a threat to global food security. So I've already mentioned that it's a notifiable disease. It's a foreign animal disease in the United States. Confirmed cases may lead to a ban on the import and export of pig and pork products to and from many different countries with significant negative economic impact. Now, you will notice that we have not banned pork products coming in from China, even though China is African swine fever um, positive. So my friends, there's a lot we could probably say about that, but another really good reason not to garbage feed your pigs and feed meat to your pigs is given how um, various administrations, not just the current one, and the USDA have set up meat, um, commodity meat going across international boundaries, 
there is a non-zero chance that um, both chicken and pork coming from China ends up in the uh, in the garbage stream. And if you feed those to your um, pigs, you run a very great risk of introducing African swine fever into uh, your into your local environment with. Um, pretty disastrous consequences because we depopulate to get rid of it. All right. So, I mean, like I said, they've depopulated hundreds of thousands of pigs, more pigs in China than we raise in a year in the United States. So we, um, but I want to say that it's never, African swine fever has never been reported in the United States, in Canada, in Mexico, in Australia, or in New Zealand. So I don't want anybody to freak out, but this is why we practice on farm biosecurity, right? And I advocate against garbage feeding pigs, even if it's legal. So African swine fever can have a morbidity up to 100%. It will make, by and large, every pig that gets it completely, really, really sick. The mortality rate can range from very low, like less than 5% to everybody dying. Um, and it depends on the virulence of the isolate. Highly virulent isolates can um, mean nearly 100% mortality in pigs of all ages. In comparison, when we had porcine epidemic diarrhea virus, it was mostly the babies that were dying from that. This is not like that. This is every life stage. Um, the less virulent isolates are more likely to be fatal in pigs with concurrent disease. Um, pregnant mamas and the babies, because they're, you know, like, I mean, they're, those are all immunocompromised individuals. Um, it tends to be high when African swine fever is introduced into new regions. Um, and then we only see subacute and subclinical cases in endemic uh, disease. Um, and so, and the, the mortality rate goes down, uh, but asymptomatic is only in warthogs and brush pigs. Okay. So, you, if your pigs are not sick, your pigs are not sick. All right. There's, as, as I'm fond of saying, there's nothing a pig does that's subtle, including getting sick from African swine fever. <laughs> okay. Transmission comes from direct contact uh, with infected animals, their bodily fluids and tissues. Transmission of the virus can occur um, by direct contact of susceptible pigs with infected swine. So if you have a pregnant mama and you have feral hogs and that feral hog um, is kind of sick and coughs on mama, then mama can get exposed and sick. Um, because the most common routes of exposure are saliva, tears, nasal discharge. So when your pig goes, you know how they do, um, it sends secretions like they broadcast them, it's called. <laughs> um, there are some reports that suggest that cannibalism of dead pigs may be an important mode of transmission. This is difficult to study. Um, and transmission definitely happens through ingestion of contaminated um, pork products and swill garbage feeding um, African swine fever infected products uh, to otherwise healthy pigs. There are two other ways that it comes about. It comes about indirectly, all right, through something called fomites, which are contaminated inanimate objects like clothing, vehicles, equipment. Um, Massive environmental contamination can result if blood is shed during necropsies or pig fights and or if a pig develops what we call paint the wall diarrhea, <laughs> all right, because it paints the wall. And that also broadcasts virus everywhere. The virus um, 
survives for a really, really long time in a lot of different um, protein-rich environments like blood or meat. Um, aerosol, um, aerosol transmission has been reported, but only in a laboratory setting. Um, and so when we talk about broadcasting, it's actually droplets of you know, goo from the, from the pig's head that has land on the, land on the other pig. Bites from infected ticks, okay? So there are um, soft, soft ticks core called ornithodoros um, that actually take up the virus when they, do, when they eat a blood meal and then transmit it because um, they re-inject the blood from um, one pig to another when they move from one pig to another. So they take it up in one pig and they inject it in the next pig. One of the many ways picks or, or ticks are completely horrifying. Uh, and so the worry is, is that we would get it in our own tick population. Ticks are remarkably adaptable to taking up viruses. Um, and then, of course, um, there are um, stinging and biting flies. Uh, so so um, stomoxis flies, they're called, which is a type of biting fly, can also transmit it. So if you have biting flies around the eyes of your pigs and they travel from one pig to the other, that can also transmit the virus. But I want to let you know that humans are not susceptible to African swine fever. There is no public health or food safety concern with this, all right? And so I don't want anybody to, um, to get worried about that, all right? So uh, when we talk about clinical disease, if this happens, um, it incubates for between 5 and 21 days a, unless they get a tick bite. So ticks, for some reason, the way ticks, um, the way ticks bite pigs and other animals, they can get really sick really fast. So it can be less than five days if they've, they've had a tick. Uh, that we usually see as the per acute, which is, you know, like you go there and your pig is dead. <laughs> then there's acute disease, which is disease that happens. It's fairly sudden onset. Subacute disease uh, is, is a disease where, is the type of disease where they get sick, they go down, but there's, but they, they can kind of still eat, um, drink and poop and pee, and they're not like laying on the ground trying to die. And then chronic, um, they get sick, they get mildly sick, and they recover. Okay, and they um, they can uh, zero convert without developing clinical signs. All right. So what are the clinical signs? Well, acute acute disease really high fever, but that's a sign of everything in pigs. Like you look at your pigs cross-eyed and they get a fever, right? Not eating, also a sign of everything in pigs. Lethargy, also a sign of everything in pigs. Weakness and recumbency. So they don't want to walk because their feet hurt and they're weak because they feel like terrible. Um, weakness and recumbency, things, you got to start thinking things are serious. All right. And then when they start turning red and blue, and I'm not kidding, red and blue, your pig turning blue is bad. All right. And you'll see um, skin blotching on the ears, on the tail, um, on the lower legs, um, and then up on the hams. All right. And when I say blue, I mean blue. If your pig turns blue, your next call is to your state veterinarian. Okay. Um, they can also have diarrhea. They will generally abort their babies, which again, broadcasts the, the, there, cause there's so many fluids associated with, um, giving birth to piglets. Um, they will have respiratory disease. They'll have goo around their nose. Um, and then they usually, I mean, they'll go down and they die. Um, 
Okay, so that's what the acute disease looks like. Subacute disease um, looks less bad. They don't usually go down. They can still turn blue. They will run a fever. Um, and they will either die or recover in three to four weeks. But you know what you're doing in that three to four weeks? Feeding them. Okay, and that's what makes it a disease of economic importance. Uh, all right, because you're feeding an animal that's not going to convert food to muscle mass and fat that, that you then go sell as a carcass, all right? Your chronic disease also looks a whole lot like, um, like everything else, and, but they just don't, um, they, go, they don't go down as fast. Um, they can still die from it. It just takes them a really, really long time. Again, and that's super expensive for you, the producer. My recommendation is, is that you not cut these pigs open on your farm. Okay, so there are um, lots of things that these pigs look like on um, postmortem when we cut, cut them up, but basically they have hemorrhaged all over their internal organs and they have a very enlarged spleen. Okay, so if the spleen is the same size as the liver, call your state veterinarian. Try not to cut open your pigs that suddenly die. That's, I mean, really, guys, there are so many things that we share with pigs. Um, your state veterinarian will come out at no cost to you if your pigs are suddenly dying, all right? If you have any questions about that, I am really available over direct message over a whole number of mediums. If your pigs are suddenly dying and you don't know who to call, get on Facebook and message me. I'm everywhere on, on, on like where pastured pork producers are, okay? I have people send me pictures and say, how worried do they, about this do you think I should be, All right? And I will tell you what you need to worry about. And if I think you need to call your state veterinarian, I will help you figure out who that state veterinarian is. I don't charge for this, guys, because it is in my interest as well as your interest to keep foreign animal diseases out of the, um, out of the population. Uh, I learned all about this on your tax dollar because I got a scholarship from the US Army to go to vet school, okay? And so this is one of the ways that I give back. So just message me, guys, it's totally fine. You're not bothering me. I may not get back to you immediately, um, but I will get back to you. We do a lot of monitoring of our, of our social media, okay? So, um, what you're looking for is if on the outside is a lot, a lot of hemorrhage. On the inside, there's a lot, a lot of hemorrhage. Um, the skin can um, turn black and fall off, which is really fairly gross. However, there are a lot of other things that this can also look like. It can also look like hog cholera or classical sign fever. Guess what? Still have to call your state veterinarian if you have classical swine fever. It can um, look, uh, with especially the respiratory symptoms, it can look like PERS, porcine respiratory and reproductive syndrome. Um, it can look like erysipelas. If they just have diarrhea, it looks like uh, salmonellosis. Sometimes it can look like a Juski's disease. Uh, it can, because when they start bleeding everywhere, it can, you can mistake it for warfarin poisoning. So if you've left your, um, if you've been putting out the decon um, and your pigs have gotten into the decon, it can look like that. And sometimes it can look like heavy metal toxicity. Um, it doesn't look like leaving the salt block out. Uh, it doesn't look like, it really kind of does not look like foot and mouth disease. Foot and mouth disease leaves blisters on, um, blisters on the animals. Um, so it doesn't look like that. If you ever, this is another, if you ever see blisters on your pigs, 
call your state veterinarian, okay? Your state veterinarian will come out, they'll do samples, all right? Um, and they will, they will take care of this. I don't want you guys to think that you have to, um, that you have to take care of it. What I do need you to do is think about how you're gonna isolate or quarantine animals until a definitive diagnosis is received. Your local public health authority veterinarians, your state veterinarian, the eight local APHIS veterinarians, so that's the Animal Plant Health Inspection Service from USDA, they will all help with that, okay? So don't think that you're alone if you have to deal with this. There is no treatment available. There's no uh, commercially available vaccine, though they are working on one. The only thing that we really know how to do is depopulate. Okay, which man depopulate, we do ring depopulation means that, you know, when you have um, uh, the epicenter of a, um, of the disease, we depopulate in rings around that epicenter. All right. And so there are veterinarians that will help you do that. It's a very depressing thing to do, I have to tell you. All right, so how do we prevent African swine fever? We isolate sick pigs. We prevent contact um, uh, with feral wild hogs. Um, I was talking with somebody the other day, and they're like, so how do you prevent feral hogs on your property? AR-15. <laughs> that is an excellent use for an AR-15, my friends. All right, but just be super careful when you're doing that, um, that you, that, that you're not cross-contaminating the blood and the, and the, you know, the meat and all that sort of stuff from feral hogs to your own hogs, right? Uh, so be really, really careful about that if you do take an AR-15 to your, your local hog population, all right? It is a really good idea to keep newly acquired pigs separate from the herd um, for at least 30 days. You should be taking temperatures. You should be looking at them for signs of coughing, increased respiratory rates, that sort of thing. All right, those are, those are good husbandry practices. Um, we also have to prevent indirect transmission by avoiding uh, garbage feeding, uh, un uncooked, undercooked pork products, raw pork waste to pigs. Um, this is a very high risk practice, not only for African swine fever, but a whole bunch of other things as well. You have to ensure uh, appropriate disposal and treatment of manure and swine carcasses, blood and body fluids, all right? So if pigs are acutely dying on your property, call your state veterinarian um, because you never know what it is. And whatever it is, we don't want your other pigs to get sick, okay? Um, in places in, in, in sub-Saharan uh, Africa where tick vectors are found, you have to do cleaning and disinfection procedures and implement vector control to prevent those ticks. We also talk about um, avoiding contact with domestic pigs 48 hours after hunting or contact with feral wild pigs. All right, so when I go farm to farm, I ensure there's a 40, like this is on my own recognizance, but I ensure a 48 hour break. I clean my shoes. I have entirely different clothes. I've taken a shower. I've washed my hands an awful lot. All right, but there's a 48 hour break for the virus to get away from it for any viruses. Not, I mean, this, we don't have this one in America, but for any viruses to get away from me. Okay. So there's lots and lots of stuff that you guys can do. If you go to the sale barn and you're with pigs, all right, make sure that you are washing your boots. You're washing your truck, uh, you know, undercarriage wash with Rocal or um, anything, you know, like just hook something up to the hose and spray, spray some soap underneath your truck. It's not worth it. Mm. 
all part of on-farm biosecurity, okay? And so that's, that's what we have on African swine fever. This is an incredibly important virus and the process of understanding how to keep it off your farm is a process of not only understanding everything that I just talked about on this podcast, but actually implementing biosecurity and biosafety practices, okay? Um, and there's a, there is a, um, that, that whole, just please download the biosecurity plan. I promise it's free, <laughs> okay? And it is that particular, the one I write is not for people who raise hogs indoors, okay? It says the word indoors on it, but that's because you do have indoor parts of your farm. <laughs> it doesn't necessarily mean that's where the pigs are, but your farm office, my guess is, is it's indoors. <laughs> All right. And so if you're feeling really uncomfortable about doing this and, and, and feeling really uncomfortable about implementing on-farm biosecurity, the question is why? Why are you feeling uncomfortable? Are you feeling physically safe to implement on-farm biosecurity? Yeah, you probably are, okay? I would say you probably are. Are you feeling financially safe to implement on-farm biosecurity? This might be a much bigger um, conversation that you feel like it's gonna be super expensive. You're gonna have to install fencing and cameras and blah, 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 blah. No, okay? We always think first and buy second, all right? So when you download the plan, you can think first and buy second, okay? Because when you buy stuff, you're, you're building the sixth asset in your business, which is uh, equipment and capital equipment and stuff like that. That's always the last thing that we do when building assets for our business, okay? Um, are you trained on how to do this? I've done a lot of stuff out there about biosecurity training. Um, I have, I have, uh, done, uh, Facebook lives and you can find the videos on pastured pigs for health and happiness. I've done stuff on the Mangalitsa page. I've done stuff on the salt cured pig page. Those are all Facebook pages where you can find videos where I've talked about biosecurity. If you have more questions about biosecurity, by all means, come to the proofing box and ask them. Um, do you have the respect? Okay, I'm gonna. I'm just gonna make an ask here, folks. So, I my my request of you is, as a veteran veterinarian who understands how farming works, okay, and who I promise has your best interest at heart. I, by and large, function as a for-profit extension veterinarian. Okay, we all do better when we all do better. And my ask is for you to trust me that I know what I'm talking about and that I'm not out to get you. I am, I promise, not in the pocket of the government. I am not in the pocket of big ag. All right, I'm right smack dab in the middle of those two things. All right, and that is where I have built my business. I am not saying put an on-farm biosecurity plan in because I am trying to run you out of business. I'm not, I'm trying to maintain your pig health and your farm long-term building of wealth and community. Okay, <laughs> so, that's why, so that's why I'm here, that's why I do this, because I believe that this builds wealth and community, right? Have you made the investment in understanding foreign animal diseases and, and how these diseases can um, affect your farm, how they can affect the economy of the United States? Have you invested the time, talent, and treasure in putting a biosecurity plan in place? You may not have. You have the opportunity to. Do you value doing this? I mean, I talk to a lot of pig producers who really don't value this. They think it's complete bunk, um, and it's a way to sell more vaccines. It's a way to drive business to the veterinarians. Um, and that we are, I have actually had people accuse me of actually introducing uh, pathogens onto farms on purpose so I get more business. 
I promise that's not the case. <laughs> okay. If you are in that mind frame, it's probably because you don't value this information. Just know where you stand and stand there, okay, and make decisions based on that. Because in order to implement on-farm biosecurity, you are going to have to stand in fear and discomfort. You're going to have to do things you haven't done before to make your business safer. That requires you to think that your business isn't as safe as it can be right now, and that feels uncomfortable. But are you empowered to be uncomfortable in um, service of your dreams in service of creating the farm that you want in service of building the wealth and community of working with the restaurants of working with the chefs of working with your community to bring amazing pastured pork products into the universe. So are you willing to be just uh, uncomfortable and fail forward and not do it right every single time in order to build that business? My hope is, is that you are. My hope is, is that this podcast helped you to get there and that we are a resource for you. That's what we're, that's what we're here for. I love you guys. I so appreciate everybody who showed up to listen to the podcast live. Um, I did get one question during the podcast live, which is what about South America? This has not been reported in South America. Um, and so we don't have numbers on that. There are veterinarians there's there's everybody's looking for this absolutely everybody is looking for this so but no it has not been reported in south america okay so that's what i have for you for the podcast thank you ever so much everybody you are absolutely amazing thanks for tuning in and we'll see you next week thank you for tuning in to our podcast be sure to join us in the Proofing Box, a private Facebook page for food producers filled with valuable information and technical tips. Grow your business by learning from people just like you, all under the guidance of a food safety expert.